God sent that storm. This was a divine storm. God is going to literally judge the world with this mountain of fire that comes across the world. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in a study of the Revelation, the last book of the Bible, which consists mostly of prophecies of things to come. These include the coming tribulation, Christ's millennial reign, Satan's last stand, and ultimately Satan's last fall and God's eternal kingdom. We barely scratched the surface as we find ourselves in chapter 8. As we pick up, we find that the Revelation is not the only book of the Bible that addresses some of these coming events. The prophet Ezekiel and the prophet Daniel are in accord with this account, along with what is called the Olivet Discourse, found in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. As we join Dr. Brogy, he talks about an event the prophet Daniel spoke about, known as the Abomination of Desolation. Look out, watch out, because all hell is going to break loose, and that's why there's no doubt 30 minutes of silence in heaven. You know, very often after a tragic event, we have a moment of silence. In heaven, they're going to have 30 minutes of silence before it even happens. That's how awesome it is. Look at verse 7. The zenith of God's judgment starts here. The first sounded... And there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. So the first trumpet sounds, it announced the judgment on the land, and it's going to affect the entire planet. Now it appears during this time frame, again, we're in the second half of the tribulation when this happens, that um, when, when this happens, it's not by accident that these four, four trumpets that we're going to see refer to literal trumpets. Now one of the trumpets, there's a simile that's used, like something. But we've seen, apart from the similes, when there's a simile where it says, this is like something, then you discover what it's like, the meaning of the symbol, and then you literally believe it. But the reason I'm bringing this up, again, because there are people who say the Revelation, with the exception of chapter 19, was all fulfilled before 70 AD, there's nothing ever in all of human history that has ever even happened like this. These are called later in the book, plagues. And just as the plagues in Egypt were real plagues, there were real rivers of blood, real frogs, real gnats, real flies, real cattle that literally die, real boils, real hail, real locusts, real darkness, and real death on all the firstborn. This is very, very, very real. And just as Jesus believed in a literal worldwide flood, and just as Jesus believed in literal fire that came down on Sodom and Gomorrah, and Jonah who was swallowed by a literal real fish, we have to lay aside some preconceived system of theology that says the church has replaced Israel that was rooted in the anti-Semitism of Luther and Calvin. And we have to lay that aside and let the scriptures speak for themselves. Now, this first trumpet presents a grim picture of devastation. Again, it says a third of the earth was burned up. 
Fire, hail came down mixed with blood, thrown to the earth. A third of the earth burned up. A third of the trees burned. All the green grass, gone. Now, these are very clearly God-ordained judgments. In fact, the syntax of verse 7 indicates that they are sourced in God Almighty. Now, don't forget, I've already noted for you this morning that the seven trumpets are divided into four and three. First is these four trumpets that are going to affect the earth. And then the last three trumpets, the three woe trumpets, directly affect man as individuals. And much like the ten plagues that God brought on Egypt, don't forget those ten plagues, real plagues, that God brought on Egypt. He didn't just pull them out of the air. Let's use frogs. Hey. Let's, use, let's use blood. Let, you know. No, they represented ten gods that the Egyptians falsely worshipped. And so he said, you like the frog god? Let me give you some frogs, and so on and so forth. The day is coming when God is going to judge this politically correct, evolutionistic-minded earth with judgment like they've never seen. And in the end, when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, not at which, but in which, at the end of the day of the Lord, God will take this entire earth, Peter says, and he's going to burn it with fire. And Revelation 21.1 says he'll then make a new heaven and a new earth. But modern-day evolutionists, they're more concerned about global warming than they are with God's coming global meltdown and judgment. And in our day, more and more people attribute this world that we're walking on to evolution and not to the creative hand of God. The evolutionist says God did not create the universe. Man created God as a figment of his imagination to bring solace and comfort to his heart. Evolution is the master. But I want to tell you, as you watch the inhabitants of this storm, and as we read through the rest of Revelation, you're going to see there are no agnostics and no atheists. Everyone is going to acknowledge that God is the one who is doing it. But in spite of that, so many will still harden their heart. Now, God pulls hail out of the sky for a reason. Because as Isaiah 28, 2 indicates, you might want to write that above the word hail. I told you there are over um, 300 specific references to the Old Testament and the 404 verses of the Revelation. Hail is descriptive of God's justice that comes down from above. Fire, you might want to write Hebrews 12, 29. God is a consuming fire, which speaks of his holiness that the earth dwellers have ignored. And then blood, that's descriptive of life. Leviticus, the life is in the blood. And God through blood, describes life and death as the creator, something that man has ignored. Now, we will see that most people who are going to get saved are going to get saved in the first half of the tribulation. Doesn't mean that there is not salvation in the second half. But the vast majority of people who get saved will get saved in the first half of the tribulation. Again, that's one of the functions of the tribulation, to bring Jews and Gentiles to faith. It's not like God says, let me see if I can think of something to torture people. No, God is a God who sees beyond temporal punishment and pain to the eternal wrath that will follow after this whole time frame is over. And so God in his sovereignty 13 times over in this section of scripture mentions a third, a third, a third, a third. Why not a fourth? Why not a tenth? Why not half? 
Because we're going to see when we come to this second parenthesis in chapters 12 through 14, we're going to see what's been going on during these trumpet judgments. And we're going to see that there is an unholy trinity that is going to mimic God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Satan will take the place of God the Father. The Antichrist will take the place of God the Son. And the false prophet who will point people to the Antichrist to get people to worship him, he will take the role of God the Spirit. And so three is the number of God, and I don't think it's by accident because of what is going on during this time, as we'll study it in the parenthesis, that God through a third, a third, a third, a third, a third is judging the world. So there's the first trumpet, the brewing storm, and it brings great devastation to all the green plants on earth. The second judgment, the second trumpet is the bloody sea, the bloody sea. It impacts the oceans of the world. Look at verse 8. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. Now notice, it does not say a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, but rather something like a great mountain. This is a simile. The object which is thrown into the sea is compared to a great burning mountain. In many ways, this huge mountain ball of fire could picture, I suppose, an asteroid. There are literally thousands of asteroids that are hurling through space. NASA has labeled over 3,500 of those asteroids. And they tell us that the largest one is called Ceres that is 620 miles wide. Now, I don't know if God is going to use one of the asteroids that's already in existence or if he's going to create a brand new one. He can do whatever he wants. But notice what this burning mountain of sorts does. A great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood. A third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, here's a picture of an asteroid. It was really a meteorite. I mean, just a fraction of the size of some of the asteroids and meteorites that have been cataloged that fell on Siberia in 1908. I mean, it destroyed, devastated over 1,000 square miles, and they said when it hit the earth, they felt the impact in Western Europe. Now, John, when he writes this book, it's 95 A.D., he either heard or maybe he witnessed only one super great natural disaster up to that time in his life when Mount Vesuvius, the volcano, explodes. And of course, it literally buried Pompeii and destroyed ships anchored off sea there in the Gulf of Na Naples. But now he has a picture of this burning mountain that hits the sea in which a third of the sea is tainted with blood and a third of all the sea life is dead. This is no doubt not just a natural disaster. This is a divine miracle. It is an expression of God's wrath on the water. Why the water? Because all the evolutionists say that life springs from water. Why do you think every time they, they, they explore someplace and they want to see if there's water on Mars? Because their thought is, is that Water is the source of all life, and so God is going to literally judge the water with hema. We get a word hematology with blood. Notice in addition, a third of the ships were destroyed. 
Now, according to the World Fleet Monitor, I did some studying on this, the number of ships on the planet has really grown dramatically. In 1980, there was 24,867 uh, fleets, uh, ships, and this is accepting, with the exception of fishing boats and, and naval boats that were registered. And in 2017, there is 87,483 ships. Now, you have to add to that the 108 countries that have Navy vessels that are about 30,000 plus, and that doesn't include your little boat that you go out in the marsh with, all right? Well, think about this. A third of all the ships on the planet are gone. We rely heavily on them. These ports in Savannah and Charleston and Baltimore and Boston and New York, they carry our supplies up and down the coast. That's going to be hindered greatly. Think in addition, all the fishermen who can only see dead, rotting carcasses where a third of the fish in the sea are gone. God is judging the world, and it's not by accident. And this is a triple judgment. It's a, it's a judgment on the, the, the water, the ocean water. It's a judgment on the marine life, and it's a judgment on the sea. And God is over this judgment, just like he was over the judgment in Jonah's day. In Jonah 1, verse 4, it says, And the Lord hurled. I know some English translations say sent, but the Hebrew text says the Lord hurled. A great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea that the ship was about to break up. You remember the book of Jonah. I preached it 20 years ago. I need to preach it again. I wasn't real satisfied with that, but God gave me an outline back in the 1980s. Chapter 1 is the prodigal prophet. He's running from God. Chapter 2 is the praying prophet. They're in the belly of the fish. Chapter 3 is the preaching prophet, and chapter 4 is the pouting prophet. You remember that? Anthony remembers. He's shaking his head. He, he remembered it. All right. Well, remember, God sent that storm. This was a divine storm. God is going to literally judge the world with this mountain of fire that comes across the world. The brewing storm, the bloody sea, third. The third trumpet is the burning star. Think with me for just a moment. I'm almost done. The burning star. The third trumpet is sounded beginning in verse 10. The third angel sounded in a great great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. Now, the Bible says in the book of Job and in the prophet Isaiah that God has all his stars named and numbered. Remember that? Lift up your eyes and high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number, and he calls them all by name. Well, God calls one of his stars... And he allows it to disintegrate in a way that it touches a third of all the freshwater bodies upon the earth. Now, some people say this is impossible because they say a star is so big that if it hit the world, there would be no planet earth. Well, listen, it is the Greek word lampos, and it could refer to an asteroid or a meteor, but... Nonetheless, it's most commonly used of a star, but God allows this star to break up. And God aims the star as it breaks up so that not a half or a tenth or all, but a third precisely of the rivers, the freshwater rivers in the world, will be poisoned. It's a controlled miracle. We studied a controlled miracle recently when we were in the book of Acts, the 16th chapter. Remember Paul and Silas who were in jail? And suddenly the Bible says there came a great earthquake. 
so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Now, some earthquakes result from living in a fallen world, but God sometimes brings specific earthquakes. The big one we've never seen yet. We're going to see it. We're going to study it later on in the Revelation. But in Acts 16, this was a divine earthquake. Number one, it was localized. It affected just the jail and not the whole city. Number two, it was controlled. The ceiling didn't cave in. The walls didn't fall down. And number three, it accomplished the purpose for which God sent in. All the doors opened and all the chains fell off. Well, God is going to send this burning mountain in a third of the waters and a third of the springs of water will be polluted. This great star from heaven, burning like a lampost, like a torch. You know, a torch as it it burns and it flutters. This star is going to come down and God's going to allow it to disintegrate across the planet. And look at verse 10 again. The third angel sounded, this great star fell from heaven, a third of the rivers and the springs of water. And the name of the star, God names it, it's called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Absinthos. It's kind of an awkward Greek word, but it gives us our English word absintha, which refers to a particular liquor that men like to drink. It's a very bitter liquor. Now, I've never had it and don't plan to. I always thought it odd that people have to develop a taste for something they don't like in order to accomplish their goal to get high. But in either case, that's the word that God uses. And it's the name of a plant in Israel that is a bitter plant. But unlike this plant, this this star named Wormwood or Absinthos, when it hits, it will make the waters not just bitter, but poisonous so that many people die. So think about what's going on. The ships, they're disabled. The plants have been destroyed. The water has been fouled. The fish are dead. Even water to irrigate the land, so much of it is bitter. There are a lot of rivers in the world um, one geography expert catalogs um, uh, 3,000, excuse me, 165 major rivers in the world. And by a major river, they have some uh, qualifications like the Nile that's 4,258 miles long or the Mississippi that's 3,710 miles long. And off of these major rivers, you have all these side rivers that feed the population across the planet. Well, a third of them are all going to be fouled. It's going to be a miserable time to live upon the earth. This brings us to the fourth trumpet. The fourth trumpet is the blackened sky. We read now, beginning in verse 12, the fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened and the day would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. One-third of the sun, moon, and stars were struck so that a third would be darkened, affecting both day and night. They're going to have eight-hour days. Think about what that's going to do to the temperature on the earth. Think about that. what that will do to your ability to, to grow something. This, by the way, is a fulfillment of what the prophet Amos said of this coming day. Amos chapter 8, it will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that I will make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark in broad daylight. Now, people have pursued wisdom in all kinds of places, and a lot of people pursued in the creation. 
Some people have literally as their religion the creation. And God is going to judge the creation in this day. And the things that people have followed and given their lives to are going to be judged. And God is going to bring darkness on the planet. And of course, in one sense, I suppose some will like that. Paul will write to the church at Thessalonica, for you, referring to Christians, are all sons of light and sons of day. We're not of night nor of darkness. Let us be alert and sober. For those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Do you know that most evil takes place at night? Most murders take place in the dark. Most people who get drunk, get drunk in the evening. Most people who are sexually immoral do so in the evening hours and the night of in the blackness of night. Why? Because men love the darkness rather than the light. Well, the darkness is going to be accentuated and extended, and I can't imagine what will happen. Then, verse 13, I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven. The King James interprets that as an angel, thinking that this is maybe one of the cherubim, but all of the Greek texts say an eagle. I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. It's as if God announces as an expression of mercy to the whole world through this eagle. You say, will an eagle literally speak? Look, God can make a parrot talk. He made a donkey speak. God can do whatever he wants to do. He's going to make an eagle shout. If you can believe the first verse in the Bible, you can believe the rest of it. And he's going to announce to the whole earth, to those who dwell on the earth, literally earth dwellers, not just the people who are living on the planet, but we're going to see as we work through the Revelation, this term that is used 12 times in the Revelation, it is a specialized term to describe those people who have given their life to this world only. T-L-O people, this life only people, and they are not going to respond. Now, how are we going to apply this passage? You say, this is a rather dramatic passage. What does it mean for me? I'm not even going to be here for this. Well, all Scripture is profitable and it's for edification. So let me suggest some applications as we close. Number one, where's your focus? Is it caring for this earth or caring for men's souls? Where is it? I can tell you during this time, there'll be no more Earth Day celebrations. People won't be talking about whether we should drink out of a styrofoam or a paper cup. They're going to be doing all they can just to have some water in a cup. And you can't believe the literature that's sent to me as a pastor. Sample Sunday school literature for children and for adults put out on evangelical presses on this whole Earth Day emphasis. And how we should celebrate Earth Day. If anything, we need to celebrate Salvation Day. Born-again Christians are not called first and foremost to shine the brass of this Titanic that in the end is going to go down and God's going to burn the whole thing. Now, again, I don't think we should abuse the earth, but our focus is not just on trying to prop up a planet that God himself is ultimately going to obliterate. Our focus needs not to be on saving this earth, but on saving souls. Secondly, are you an earth dweller? And we'll see that first term repeated and defined all the way through the Revelation. Are you heaven bound by a second birth? 
You're one or the other. There's no in-between. John says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world is passing away, he will say, and also it's lost. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. You know, the beginning of human history, heaven and earth were united because their first parents initially honored God and obeyed his will. But then they listened to the voice of the tempter. And earth came out of harmony with the way God originally designed it. But there's a gateway that God has provided from this coming, scorching, burning earth when God will ultimately make a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness reigns. And that gateway is Jesus. He's the door. No one can go to the Father but through him. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and to destroy and to steal. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. If you're not saved... I invite you to go through the gate, through the door named Jesus. He's the only one who can deliver you. This is going to happen. The events we are reading are going to happen. And there's coming a day when the church will be gone, and anyone who's been in a church like this, it will be forever too late. It could happen before this day is over. You say you're trying to scare me, into heaven. Look, I'd rather scare you into heaven than lull you into hell. It's real. This is going to happen. And if you are a Christian, where are you pointing people? What are you investing your life in? Some local club, not that it's wrong? Or do you see that club or that hobby that you're engaged in as a tool, as a vehicle to share the love of Christ? In the end, it won't matter how big your house is, how much money you had in the bank, what kind of car you drove. In the end, the only thing that will matter to you is what you did for Jesus Christ. Now, our Father, we thank you that your word is alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Help us to have ears to hear today and to apply what you have said, that we might be engaged in warning men and women and boys and girls. I pray more people would come to my Wednesday night series, Father, that they might learn to share their faith and and introduce people to the Savior. But I pray today, Father, for someone who's here or listening, live streaming, or maybe on one of our other campuses that do not know you. Thank you that whoever will call upon Jesus will be saved. Help someone to come through the only door of salvation. Help them to trust that his death, burial, and resurrection is able to save. And help us, Father, in this brand new week as we encounter various people in different places to have a sense of compassion in our heart, gratitude for what you've saved us from, but compassion for those who we see, empty lives, trying to find meaning. People, many, who are headed for an eternity without you. Help us to care for their souls, to engage them personally, to invite them to church, to share our testimonies, even to take them through the gospel. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. To listen again to today's study from Revelation 8 entitled, When the Trumpets Sound, 
Use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD for your library by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV22. However you contact us, won't you consider underwriting the programming of Search the Scriptures? We're looking for some foundation partners who will come alongside us with a monthly gift of at least $25. For more information, click the Give button on our app or at our website, searchthescriptures.org, or call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow we move into Revelation 9, and Dr. Brogy talks about when hell invades earth. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.